We're continuing in our series on habits of spiritual survival. These habits or practices that we need to do on our own routinely in our lives so that we grow as disciples. And it's essential that we do this. This is spiritual survival. And that's why we're using the image of the survival fire. What we've been talking about is that we take these logs, stack one habit or practice, one log after another on top of each other to hopefully build a roaring blaze in your spiritual life. The very first log we put out there, I said it was the starter log, like soaked in kerosene or whatever. And this starter log is the one that would set all others on fire, and that is lordship. It starts with lordship. And we said, well, yeah, but notice it's also relationship. So what we're saying is it's, these aren't things we do to earn brownie points with God. But fire is not only survival, but it's warmth. Like we gather around fire to build relationship and intimacy. And that's what we're doing in our relationship with God. But we said, look, for relationship, you need communication. Communication must be two-way. And so God speaks to us through his word. There's a log we put on the fire. And we speak to God through prayer. There's a log we put on the fire. But then last week, continuing with the relationship idea, I said, listen, if a relationship's important, you need to express affection. How do you express affection to God? Worship is a log that went on the fire. Now, we're going to still talk about relationship, but in a little bit of a different angle, okay, because relationship is not only vertical between us and God, but horizontal, us with each other. This week, we're going to talk about fellowship and put fellowship, that log, on the fire. Now, it, honestly, it's kind of a weird word. It's an older word. Like, it, it, What it means is connection with other Christians. Now, granted, there's a lot more to it than just that. We'll tease that out throughout the morning. But fellowship is a weird word. Like, hey, would you be my fellow? And could we have fellowship? Like, it's kind of weird. But it does mean connection with other Christians, and it is essential to our spiritual survival. So let me help you understand how essential community and connection and relationship is. There was an, a very crude and cruel experiment done by Emperor Frederick. He ruled the Roman Empire in the 13th century. What he wanted to know is what is the original or the natural language of humankind. He suspected that if a baby never heard human language, that then the child would naturally start speaking the native tongue of humanity. He wasn't sure if it was Greek or Hebrew or Latin is what he suspected. But the reason I don't speak though is because I heard English, so I started speaking English. But if we denied Rick English, he would have spoke one of the natural tongue. So what he did is snatched babies at birth. Uh, and, and secreted them away. They hired wet nurses who were sworn to silence, and they never broke it, so the babies never heard a human word. And you know what they found out? All the babies died within months. Interesting. Tragic. Horrible. But interesting. We are hardwired for connection. We need relationship. We need community. The universe is set up in that way because it's made by a God who exists in community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, eternally existent in relationship, in community. And so go figure, when he created mankind, at first he, he said it's good, he's making stuff, it's good, it's good, it's good. He makes Adam, it's good. And then the first time God says it is not good, was in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It is not good that the man should be alone. 
We're supposed to exist in community. So he gave community to us. And then when you roll into the New Testament, Jesus gave the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's all about love and relationships. Notice that's vertical and horizontal. It's both. And Jesus said the entire law and the prophets, the whole scripture are summed up in those two commands. Well, that's great stuff, right? We're made for community. Great. Oh, bad news. We suck at it. There's bad news there. Like, like, so he says it's not good for the man to be alone, and he gave us community, and within one chapter, we ruined it. We started hiding from each other, and covering up, and wearing masks, and blaming each other, and in the very next generation, murder like that destroying. Sin always makes us isolated. It always destroys community. We tend to live in isolation with very surface level friendships. Our culture, if you think about it, we used to have front porches that we'd hang out on because we'd interact with the neighbors as they walked by. Now it's back deck with privacy fences. Thank you very much. Leave me alone. Right? So we, we went that direction. Then what about watching a movie? We used to do a social environment where we'd go out to the movie theater, but then, then we got Blockbuster, right? And now you can just watch it in your home. Well, that's, you had to at least go out to the store to get your VHS or your DVD, right? It's okay. We solved it. We got streaming. Now you don't even have to leave your home for that. See us isolating ourselves? Now, we still need connection, so we came up with social media. Social media is wonderfully designed to give you a sense of community while you lack the real thing. I have 2,200 Facebook friends. Can I just admit to you, there's no stinking way I have 2,200 friends. That's just not a thing. That's just not real. What has happened is we have allowed in our culture friendship to be redefined as something that completely lacks friendship. It's devoid of that. So you get a sense of connection without really having deep level connection in your life. It's a problem. Now the problem is not that we're alone, but that we're lonely. Those are two different things. We're not alone, we're lonely. We're surrounded by people, but deep down inside, we're desperately alone. There's a theologian that captured this. His name's Billy Joel. And in his song, he said, they're sharing a drink they call loneliness, but it's better than drinking alone. And what's the image there? You're at a bar, you're surrounded by people. You're not alone. And everybody is drinking loneliness. Not alone, but desperately lonely. Randy Frazee captured this in the phrase, crowded loneliness. You feel that, right? You know that. You've got lots of connections, lots of Facebook friends, and yet deep down inside, you're hollow, you're empty, you lack a deep level connection with another human being that knows all about you, and you desperately want that, and you are terrified by the prospect at the same time. We all feel that. We got to talk about this loneliness because it's important for our survival. It's an issue of survival. John Orberg referred to some research. Uh, researchers followed, what was it, 7,000 people over nine years. And here's what they found. 
Researchers found that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. People who had bad health habits, such as smoking, poor eating habits, obesity, or alcohol use, but strong social ties lived significantly longer than those people who had great health habits but were isolated. In other words, it is better to eat Twinkies with good friends than to eat broccoli alone. Amen? Amen. Great news, right? Unfortunately, we're isolated. George Gallup said, Americans are some of the most isolated people on the planet. We actually don't fare well in that research. This crowded loneliness is killing us. And so I want to talk about three problems that I think Christians tend to deal with in this area of fellowship. And the first one I want to talk about is the fact that we are sometimes not embracing the beauty and the breadth of the body of Christ, the family of faith. And it's diverse and it's beautiful. Now, I'm going to refer to it as church as a family, a family. And let's start there, okay? Church is not a building. Right now, the church is sitting in front of me in a building. You are not sitting in a church. The church is not the building. Church is built of flesh and bone, not of brick and mortar. Just like you know the difference between your family and your house that your family lives in, and you don't call the house your family. Okay? This is our family. That's a church. We happen to be in a building that is our home. Now, all throughout the New Testament, God refers to the church with family language. He didn't have to. He could have talked in military terms. He's the general. We're the soldiers. He could have used athletic. He's the coach. We're the team. He talked family over and over again. Calls himself father. Adopts us as children. We're brothers and sisters. Look, look if you will, at Matthew chapter 12, verse 46 and following. Here's Jesus, and he's teaching a big crowd. And here's something that happened. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside. Now, this is his legit biological mother and brothers. They stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That's family. Now, it's predicated on the Lordship log, and here's how. Because if Jesus is your Lord, you go, absolutely, amen. Because Jesus said that church family trumps nuclear family. But if you don't have Lordship, you don't like that. Because you got an idol on your nuclear family, and you're like, uh-uh. Jesus said it, okay? Now, another reason that sometimes we don't like that is because some of us grew up, and family wasn't so good. That's my experience, okay? And so you've got a negative association with the term family, but this is family as it was intended by God as it was created, this fellowship family. And so we're talking about the family of God that is united by our dad, Father God, and otherwise that family is quite diverse. Here's why. Listen, with your friends, you choose your friends. You choose your friends, right? You choose your friends, and usually you choose people like you because I like me. I'm a big fan of me. Hey, you're similar to me. Now I like you. Let's be friends, see? So you choose your friends. You don't choose your family, do you? 
Some of you are like really disappointed about that, right? But you, you don't choose your family. Your family is chosen for you. And sometimes you get funky relatives, right? You got that uncle or that weird cousin. In my family, we call that the Sebring side. <laughs> That'll cost me, but it was worth it, right? <laughs> it's the Sebring side. But family, you are stuck with them. Now, that's true in the church as well. This broad family, there is diversity within our family. And it's beautiful. Like there's black and white, rich and poor, Democrat, Republican, young, old, men, women, married, single. Have no kids, you have kids. There's a lot of diversity. In fact, there's another one. There are smart people and cat lovers. There's like wild diversity when we take all kinds in this wonderfully diverse family. We are family, though. No matter where you are up there, we are family if you're in Jesus Christ. And here's why. It's because of blood. Okay? We are not, as a biological family, united by blood, but as a spiritual family, we are united by the blood of Jesus Christ. And blood is thicker than water. Which means the blood of Jesus Christ trumps any of those differences up there. We're family. We're family. And what I want you to do is start to weigh it in the balance, whatever differences there are in the beautiful diversity of the body. At the same time, there's great unity. Like every Christian is made in the image of God. They, they are, you got to know Jesus died for them. Now, based on those first two lines, there's value to them. Great value. They are called and claimed by God. Adopted as a child of God, which means you've got the same dad. You've got the same dad. They're destined for heaven, which means get used to them. You're going to be together a while. Like some of you are hoping, hoping like heaven's a big place and you can avoid certain Christians. <laughs> We're going to be together a long time, right? They're designed to worship God just like you alongside you. And that's your brother. That's your sister. We're family. Now, you take that list right there and you weigh that in the balance with the fact that they talk too much. Doesn't matter that much. Or maybe they're politically different than you. Or maybe they gossiped about you at one point. At some point, we got to weigh it in the balance and say they're family. They're family. Weigh it in the balance. Love the whole family. Listen, whether you know it or not, you have more in common with every Christian than with any non-Christian. And you will for thousands of years. It's going to go on a while. And that's what Jesus was getting at when he said that the Christian family bond trumps or eclipses, it will eclipse the nuclear family bond, be it biological or legal family. Think of it this way. Friendship is an act of self-worship. I already told you, I really like me. I'm awesome. Me is good. You're like me. You can be my friend. Friendship becomes self-worship. But fellowship is Jesus' worship. You might be different than me, but you're my brother, you're my sister. That means Jesus loves you, and because Jesus loves you, I'm going to learn to love you. That's Jesus' worship. It's fellowship. So the first problem is when we don't embrace the, the beauty and the breadth of the family of God. But the second problem I see with fellowship, for some of you might be in this, that you are a Christian, but you have no Christian friendships. That's a big problem. 
get at it this way. Have you ever met somebody and after a while you found out that they, they grew up, excuse me, they grew up as an only child? And then you were like, oh yeah, I see that. That makes sense. Now, caveat time. We have in our congregation some wonderful only children, kids and adults. Some of them are wonderful people, really well adjusted. Sometimes it happens because mom and dad struggled with fertility and they were glad they got one kid, right? It's not dog dad. But then we all know there, there are the only children that grew up and the world just revolved around them and it still does, right? Okay, listen, here's what my point. When you received Christ, you were adopted by our father and placed in a family. You are not an only child. Quit trying to live like an only child. Christianity can only be lived out neck deep in Christian family. The Bible knows nothing about a Christian living in isolation. That's just not a thing. Most of the New Testament are epistles written to churches. That is groups of Christian. It assumes that if you call yourself a Christian, you're neck deep, you're woven into a church. So you would go there and hear the epistle read. It assumes that. So for our spiritual survival, you have to have Christian fellowship. You must have Christian friends. Now, some of you are young in the faith. You're new to this. or Maybe you're just isolated for way too long and you haven't gotten there that yet, but you need them, and here's why. Because you can't be a Lone Ranger. You just can't be a Lone Ranger. Okay, time out. Lone Ranger, right? Recognize them? Okay. Let me ask you this. What's the horse's name? Silver, right? Okay. What, what's the Native American's name? Tonto, okay. Why do you know those names? Let me tell you why. Because even the Lone Ranger was not a Lone Ranger. We use this term as for one who walks alone. And even he knew he couldn't pull it off and needed a friend. Right? That's how we have to be. These, these friends become your traveling companions. This is why you need a Christian friend. When it comes to your, listen, your traveling companions, if you think about your friends, those are people you travel alongside throughout life. If all your friends are heading south, don't you dare tell me that you're heading north. It just doesn't work like that. Our addicts know this principle. That when you enter recovery, you got to change people, places, and playthings. you got to get different friends. So if you hang out with addicts that are using and getting high, and those are your traveling companions, you're not getting sober. It won't work that way. you got to make some changes. Now, you might say, well, Pastor Rick, are you saying that I can't, i, I got to get rid of all my non-Christian friends? Kind of. But, but hear me clearly on this. No, no, no. Keep the connection. Keep the relationship. Absolutely. But shift the category. They're no longer your traveling companions because you're not heading in the same direction unless you are. And that's a problem, right? And so, so you're going to keep the connection. And instead of them being people who influence you and shape you, they're going to be people who you influence and shape. They're going to be targets of love and of the gospel and of prayer. But instead of traveling with them in that direction, you're traveling towards the Lord, calling them to travel with you. So you shift the category. Because for your spiritual survival, you desperately need some Christian friends who influence you and shape you. You need that. But let me tell you the third problem I see. The third problem probably applies to most people in here, and that is 
that you have Christian friends, but you don't have fellowship. You thought, wait, is that the same thing? No, 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 it's very different. It's very different. And you can see the difference teased out in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and following. It says this. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and their possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And it says, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Doesn't that sound awesome? I want to be a part of that. You want to be a part. In fact, if you look at the last sentence, a lot of people seem to want to be a part of that. They're like, let me in. I want in on that. That sounds awesome. And so people were joining up. Listen, the irony is that in a lot of Christian church culture today, the culture of the church is such a turnoff. There it was an attractor. That's different. And so what dynamics were at work there? I want to kind of highlight a few things. Number one, Obviously, they were, there was corporate worship and teaching. They committed themselves to the apostles' teaching. They met in the temple courts. They were breaking bread. The first reference is probably a reference to uh, communion. So there was corporate worship, yes. But if that's all you know of fellowship, you don't have fellowship. So there's more to it. Number two, you saw that they were taking care of each other. At great expense, they were selling their property, meaning real estate, and possessions, you look in Acts 5, they take the money, they drop it at the apostles' feet, walk away, and the church uses it to meet the needs of, of believers. Whoa. Yeah. They were doing that. Because, listen, family is where you serve and sacrifice. You get that, right? You're not a consumer in a family. Think about the difference of going out to eat versus eating at home as a family. When you go out to a restaurant, you order a meal, you have a good meal, you pay, you're a consumer. At the end of the meal, who cleans up? Not you. You stand up, you walk away. I'm not here to serve. The busboy does that, right? But when you are in your home and you enjoy a family meal around the kitchen table, there's no busboy. After the meal, ideally, the whole family pitches in and cleans up. Now, I get that there are some family members who only take and never give. We have a label for them. We call them babies, because that's what infants do. There's no shame on them. They're just young and immature, right? But ideally, you know the difference because as a family, you're not a consumer. You're serving in sacrifice to take care of each other. Now, church is a family, which means we ought not to be a collection of consumers who are here to meet our selfish needs, but rather we're here to help and take care of and sacrifice for each other. That's family. And it's not just about money. Because when you read through the New Testament, there's all these one another passages 
where it says love one another, bear one another's burdens, comfort one another, encourage one another, greet one another, forgive one another. I mean, you read these and you start to get the sense that Christianity is a team sport, that you can't possibly live out Christian discipleship unless you are neck deep in Christian fellowship. You need it for your survival. You need it. Now, here's, let me show you one of the one another passages. There it is. Hebrews 10, verses 24 through 25 says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another. Okay? Stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near. Now, that highlights a relationship that is a little bit more than just friendship. There's fellowship going on there. Do you and your Christian friend, do you stir one another up to more love and more good works? Do you encourage one another? Do you remind one another of the coming day of the Lord and we want to be ready for that? Listen, are you a better disciple of Jesus because of that Christian friend? Do you practice the habits more because of that friend? Do you love more, give more, pray more, get in the word more? Like, is there more service coming out of your life because of that person? See how friendship and fellowship aren't necessarily equal. And some of it involves speaking truth into each other's lives. Like, as family, family speaks truth, right? Friends will sometimes tell you what you want to hear. Family tells you what you need to hear. And sometimes you won't like it. But he's going to tell you anyway, right? So it's in Christian fellowship where you can hear truth and be challenged and held accountable and be exhorted and encouraged and experience sanctification. These things are essential to our spiritual survival. So, the second thing is that we take care of each other. Now, the third dynamic that I notice in our passage here is that we are in each other's lives, in each other's homes. You see, they did not just meet in the temple courts, but house to house, small groups in homes. Homes are important. Listen, if you have a Facebook friend, you're never in their home, they're never in your home, they're not a friend. Right? To really know each other and experience each other and be in each other's lives, that's what we need. And if your experience of Christian fellowship is restricted to just seeing Christians on Sunday morning, you don't have meaningful fellowship. In Acts chapter 2, they did life together. They were in homes together. And, and don't miss this. It's a good thing. The fourth dynamic I'll point out is it's fun. You see, they were taking their meals together in homes with joy, with gladness of heart. They're laughing. It's fun. It's attractive. People are like, I want in on what those people got. It's beautiful. And then fifth dynamic I'll point out, last one, but I'll camp here a bit. Sincerity of heart, it says. Sincerity of heart, which means they were real. They were open. They were vulnerable. They took risks to go to the next level in fellowship with each other. Listen, you can fake it with friends, right? But you can't fake it with family because you live together. When you live with somebody, when you really log time together, you get to know each other. 
So, so for example, like ladies, when you started dating that guy and he saw you only with makeup, right? All the blemishes covered and you were dreading that time when he'd see you without the makeup and will he reject me? Or, or you're coming up on marriage and, and you haven't seen each other naked and then you're like, you're worried because the clothes are good and you're going to see all of me. Will you still like me? But here's the thing. You have a desperate need to be fully seen and fully known and in that moment not be rejected but to be loved. There's an irony in our human experience. All of us desperately want to be loved. And so what we do is wear masks. Because I'm afraid if you saw, if you knew the real me, all of me on display, you would reject me. And I can't have you reject me. I must have you love me. So I put on the mask so you don't reject me. But what happens is you love the mask, not me. You don't know me. And there's so much power in that moment when I take the mask off and now I'm really truly known. And in that moment, I'm not rejected. That's when I'm loved. To be known and loved is so powerful. And we're missing out on it. What is it that keeps us separated, so lonely, so isolated? It started in the Garden of, uh, of Eden in Genesis. And here's the pattern. Sin leads to shame, leads to hiding, leads to isolation. That's what happened in the garden. They experienced perfect fellowship with God and each other. But as soon as sin hit, there was shame. It says that they were ashamed. And then they hid, they covered up fig leaves. And then they were isolated. And we're still doing the exact same thing today. It's still going on. It's blaming and separation. We are still wearing fig leaves, like hiding from each other, scared that we'll be discovered for exactly who we are, scared of rejection. Now, ironically, (laughs) the only way you become a Christian is to admit that you are a nasty sinner in need of a Savior. And then having entered in to Christianity, we then start to wear this perfect Christian mask as if we've got it all together. That's silly. Isn't that crazy? You are all nasty. (laughs) Listen, you come in here week after week and you sit in these chairs and you're desperately hoping that the good people around you don't know about the junk really within you. But I got a secret for you. I know them. They're nasty too. They're worse than you. In fact, what I want you to do, I want you to turn to someone next to you right now and I want you to say, I'm nasty. Now, I want you to turn to the person on the other side and I want, to, I want you to say, you're nasty too. Now we can be done with that. Good to meet each other, okay? We don't have to wear the mask. So what I'm saying is I want you to take off the fig leaf, figuratively speaking, It's not that kind of church, right? (laughs) Figuratively speaking. But my point is quit faking it. Be real. Be yourself. Be honest with who you are and where you are. Think how this would impact prayer at our community groups. So you're doing house to house. You're in a small group. And it's time for prayer requests. Now you got a guy in there who's a husband and father. And he's full of rage and anger. And he's yelling and berating and belittling at home. I mean, cussing and stomping and storming and slamming, and it's getting close to physical. And so it's prayer time, and he says, yeah, I have a prayer request. Uh, would you please pray? One of my coworkers is having surgery tomorrow. And you do the exact same thing, and you know it. You know it. 
the deep stuff that you actually need prayer for, you put behind and you go for, what's the safe thing? Here it is. There's my mask. This is how it would impact our lives. Listen, you need to be known because that's where you can be loved and therefore healed. Look at James 5.16. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, confession to another human being is still a thing. We don't confess to a priest. There's no mediator between God and man except Jesus Christ. We don't have to go through a priest. But then as good Protestants, what we do is we jettison actual confession to another person, which we need. It's just supposed to be in the one another fellowship category. So I come to you and I say, this is what's going on. I got two guys in my life, Dan and Joe, and they know everything going on. And, and to be known, of course, my wife as well, but, but to be known and to be loved, so healing. Don't sacrifice authentic Christian fellowship on the altar of casual camaraderie. If you have a, a Christian friend and you like watching the Browns together, but it doesn't go deeper like this, it's not fellowship. And I want you to have it. I want you to have it. So let me give you some suggestions. Some things that you can start to practice this week to get her done. The first thing I want you to do is to get in a small group, a community group, a men's study, a women's study. You've got to find a way to be not just in the temple courts, but house to house. Last week I joked about worship ninjas where you sneak in and you sneak out and you're stealthy and we can't catch you. But here's how Pastor Stephen Cole spoke about that. Look at this, this is great. He says the local church is not supposed to be like a theater where you file in, find a seat next to folks that you don't have any relationship with, watch the performance and file out. Part of our problem is that we've come to think of the church as the building you go to for church services. That idea is foreign to the New Testament, which clearly presents the church as God's people, a living body knit together by their union with Christ, the head. If you're a worship ninja, listen, you're welcome and you're loved. You keep coming. That's okay. But I love you enough to want better for you. I know you won't survive like that for long, and so I want you to take the next step. You need family within the, in the family. Like, we've got a big family. You've got to find a small family, house to house, a small group where you can be known and loved. So when you come to church on Sunday mornings, oop, that's the problem. Did you hear what I just said? I don't want you to get in the car and say, let's go to church. You're not going to church. You're going to a part of church. You're going to something we call worship services. It's just a part of it. But listen, when you look through the New Testament, church also involves being the people to, to pray with you and for you, to rejoice with you, to mourn with you, to affirm you, to encourage you, to dialogue together, to ask questions, to answer questions, to meet your specific needs, to do the one another passages. That's all church too. And if you're missing that, you don't have church. You just have a worship service. So you need to get in a small group. Now, secondly, you need to look for a fellowship friend within that small group environment. What to look for? Well, are they walking with Jesus? Well, they're not Jewish and they're not Muslim. Shut up, okay? Like, they, they go to church on Christmas and Easter. Not enough, right? Well, they prayed a prayer at VBS when he was eight years old. Stop it. 
Men, I want you to find a dude, or ladies, find a woman that is a traveling companion. Okay? Somebody that will encourage you in your walk with Christ, encourage you in these habits that you will give, love, serve, read, pray more because of that friendship. Now, they're not going to be perfect. You're not perfect. We're not looking for perfect. We're looking for progress. So is this person making progress or committed to making progress? There you are. There you are. That's who you're looking for. What you need to do next is initiate. Take a risk. That means you're going to have to say, hey, I love being at at this men's Bible study table with you, but I'm enjoying... uh, your time around the table with you. You want to go grab a coffee, go grab a beer, go watch a football game. Like, you got to take a risk. It sounds scary, I know, but listen, I just made it easy. What if you all are single, and I said, this week, you need to ask somebody out? You'd be like, dude, thank you. Because I've been digging that girl for a long time, and now I've got to go to her and say, hey, Pastor Rick said I have to ask you out. Right? Okay, so listen, you know you need these friends. You know you need to go to the next level. I just said you need to do it this week. Now you can blame me. Throw me under the bus, right? So you got to initiate and take a risk. And then lastly, you've got to take it deeper. So part of your homework this week is to go listen to the Redemption Unscripted podcast. We just dropped an episode this week on accountability. You need to listen to that to take it deeper, to let it be fellowship, not just friendship, so you're better disciples because of it. Folks, this is important for your survival. You need that survival fire. Listen, I love fire. Uh, we got a fire pit out back. I love sitting around it. One of the things I love about fire, you know how when you get that, it's usually an outdoor fire, but you get that huge bed of coals, and they're just glowing. They're like orange and black or just dancing and shimmering. It's beautiful. You know how like you'd leave it overnight, you'd come out in the morning and it'd still be hot? Because it's a pile. What happens if you spread it out and scatter those? They go out, right? That's us. That's us. You lump us together, we're going to burn bright for Christ. You spread us out and scatter us, isolate us, we're dead. You need fellowship. And for that, let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you very much that you not only gave us yourself, but that you did not adopt us as only children. You put us in a wonderful family, a beautiful family. We take it for granted, sometimes out of shame and fear. We want to ask, Father God, that you would help us take the next step as your children so that we might survive. And we pray for that in Christ's name.